What's up, and welcome to the Crude Oil Podcast, a weekly uncensored Edmonton Oilers podcast with your hosts, Sean and Greg. All right, what's up? We're back for episode number two of the Crude Oil Podcast. We're recording here on, well, it's Monday evening, 18 hours after the end of game number four. Sean, how are you feeling? Have you calmed down a little? I've definitely calmed down, but I feel like I had that entire third period to calm down. That's fair. Uh, it's kind of a loaded question, um, considering that I felt like maybe I was one of the only people who was standing on the, the ledge last night. It took me a second to, to back back down and realize that uh, we're okay. We're okay. I definitely need that 24-hour cooling period after uh, after a game like last night, but... You know, it's kind of funny because I didn't think about it until I watched the interview and then Edmonton ended up losing. But uh, I think it was Sheldon Key for the Leafs. After they lost, he kind of was just shrugging it off when Tampa uh, tied the series because he's like, we just stole one on the road from them. So I don't really see the problem here. Like we're going back. We have two games in our house. They have one in theirs. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. See, you almost lost me for a second. I was like, why the fuck are we talking about the Leafs 30 seconds in? But you make a great point. <laughs> I uh, I think when you look at it through that lens, it makes sense. Just wanted to steal both games. I think that's just... It's okay. It's we okay. should have won both games. I'm not saying we shouldn't have. But at the same time, you we should have won both of our home games and then hopefully won one of the road games and then win in five at home. That's right, Sean. We should have swept the series. But here we are, <laughs> We're on the eve of game number five. We'll get into those uh, thoughts around game four, probably more in depth. But uh, figured might as well jump into the first three games, do a quick uh, recap or overall thoughts of uh, of what we saw, um, and you know, kind of go up game by game, and um, we'll recap and then jump into the preview for games five through uh, through seven. Um, yeah, it, it kind of feels like we're on the precipice of, you know, the finality of the series, which, I mean, we are, but, uh, fuck, it was just here, like, beginning last week, and here we are, like, almost over. It's weird how fast time can fly in these series. Like, I'm surprised no series have ended yet. I guess tonight, uh, Colorado can sweep Nashville, but yeah. I'm surprised that's the only series that's going to be a sweep. Well, and you go, back to, you go back to some of the predictions that we had last week, and some were bang on, some of them completely off uh, the Rangers point in particular. <laughs> I blame Florida as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But ah. regardless, I feel like we should probably just hop into talking about game one. Yeah, yeah. One of the uh, first losses of this series so far. Here we are already starting off on a negative, negative path, Greg. Come on. Um, we're going to start negative, we're going to end negative, and then we're going to start <laughs> super end, super positive, because we're going to win game five and six. I like that optimism. So game one, I think Edmonton played pr- like okay, um, and but LA played extremely well, and it kind of showed ultimately like our team just couldn't outscore their defensive zone mistakes, which has been the story of their regular season, especially through that losing streak they had. I found that they like they looked really nervous. Oh, they were very jittery. Yeah, it's like the first ten minutes. It was very much run and gun, loose hockey, and um, just it wasn't the Oilers that we're used to seeing. 
well, not over the past little while anyway, but you could see it in like players like Yamamoto when he took the most blatant penalty I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know why the crowd got to them so much. I guess playing in the playoffs without fans for two years in a row really didn't prepare them very well for it. So I think they came out in game two, though, extremely well with that. Yeah. Um, and then before we move on, though, to game two, I just wanted to mention that I know everybody was calling for Mike Smith's head after the game one. I'm sure they're eating crow now. But <laughs> anybody who wanted to switch from him after game one is just lying to themselves and just hate Smith for hating Smith and no other reason. Yeah, yeah. My thoughts just before we jump into that second game. Um, I'm kind of deciding whether I want to get into this, but I'm really frustrated with this whole fucking penalty situation that's going and uh, going on in these these playoffs. Uh, fuck it, let's dive in now. Um, Do you mean lack there of penalties or too many penalties? Far too many. Far too many. I feel like when Batman came out right before the playoffs started and he's saying how. Uh, when you look at the past three years and you average out the amount of penalties per game, it's actually higher in the playoffs. I felt like that was just a message he was sending to uh, kind of pay attention. And then it was almost as if he sent a message to the refs being like, everything gets called. Because how many, like, look at McDavid drawing penalties in the playoffs. Well, this year he's drawn at least two that I can remember, maybe more, but I can't. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think the biggest problem is almost every penalty is a coincidental. That, yeah. It seems like there's they're constantly just calling, like, the first guy for a penalty and then call the retaliation, and they're both in the box. Yeah. It, well, you look at game one, you have eight power plays in total throughout the game. Um, there's an additional uh, coincidental, like you mentioned, but it's, it's playoffs. Like... It, it just feels like too much of a tic-tacky, I just, I don't love it. It's not, it's not the, the brutal kind of grind that we're used to seeing. And uh, I don't know. I think some, some calls are pretty weak, pretty soft, but at the same, uh, at the same time, I don't find there's a lot of consistency because they're letting a lot of stuff slide. And then the smallest thing is getting called, but uh, yeah. Well, those, those first few games, I definitely agree that they there was so much inconsistency in what they were calling. Like, they'd call weak penalties and let blatant stuff go. Um, but, I don't know. I also didn't like, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but in, like, game four, where they called, like, six 10-minute misconducts in the last 10 minutes of the game. Oh, yeah. That's definitely a get-out-of-our-face so we don't have to uh, uh, deal with you. Or this doesn't turn into a, like... Bash Brothers incident. Well, it's but. kind of funny because if that was a close game, they wouldn't have called any of those. Yeah. But they didn't want Edmonton to get out of hand with the fact that they were losing. But ultimately in game one, I think Edmonton should have won that game. They couldn't outscore their mistakes. And I think we just move on to game two from there. That's the mentality you got to go with. That's for sure. That is for sure. Um so game two, also known as the Mike Smith takes the haters and shoves it up their hoops game. Um, I, what, from start to finish, like this was an absolute domination. That's, it's the first game that Edmonton, or I guess I'll say the only game they've come out and played hard in the first period and played well in the first period. 
I don't know what lit it under them, and I'm hoping that lights it under them for Game 5 after losing a game. Maybe that's why. But they came out swinging in that first period. Yeah. Um, One of the big takeaways that I had uh, in in Game number 2, and it made the Oilers really successful. And I I don't know if... Well, it doesn't, because we'll look at the... I was going to say, I don't know if it has anything to do with home ice advantage and last change, but... Uh, if you look at the two games that the Oilers have won this series, they've won the face-off percentage. Um, we'll get into it. I feel like we're jumping all over the place. We're so excited to talk about this game we just saw. But uh, game two, face-off percentage. The Oilers won 56% of all of the face-offs. Um, it, it, you get immediate control. And uh, I think it, it sets you up for success. Um, but again, to my point with <laughs> the, the special teams, the Oilers are dominant. In special teams, I think they're sitting. Uh, well, they were before Game Four, but after Game Three, they're sitting around 150 percent combined PK and PP percentage, which is unheard of. Well, I'm pretty sure after Game Three, it was uh, what was it? They were 50 percent on the power play, and then like LA was like mine. No, they were. What am I trying to say? They're minus 12.5% on their penalty kill because Edmonton scored a shorty and they hadn't scored a power play goal yet or something like that. Or that was after game two. Interesting. Interesting. Imagine having a negative penalty kill. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, it was, oh sorry. That was a negative power play. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> it would just be a goal against on the PK, hey? Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, game two, the Oilers just walked the Kings six nothing. Uh, Mike King or Mike King, <laughs> he was he was the King in uh, game number two. Mike Smith, kind of uh, really taking it to all the haters. And then really, when you move into game three, uh, I I really don't think he did anything less in an eight two victory. Uh, just another complete domination from the Oilers from start to finish. Well, I think the big thing is they came out physical. Like if you look at the hits in both game two and game three, they absolutely like dominated the hits. And I, th- I would say by far they were the most physical team. Guys like Cassian were absolutely leveling people. Like when you do that to them, all they hear is footsteps. Those like young defensemen, and they get rid of the puck and put themselves in bad positions. Well, I think it helps too. The Oilers establishing that early goal and um, you know really quietening that crowd in LA, although massive difference between what's going on in LA and what's going on in Edmonton. That was actually uh, kind of remarkable to see, but uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. A lot of, uh, a lot of physicality in their game that they really got away from in game four. And uh, it was to their advantage back to my previous point. Yeah. 52% in the face off circle, which is again, just, just kind of showing how, uh, how important those draws are but um well i don't want to put too much emphasis on face-off percentage but i do think it's important especially in the defensive zone because there's been so many times where they lose that defensive zone face-off and then la just has extended pressure when the mcdavid lines out there when the dry saddle lines out there and they can't get possession and they have to change because they've been on the ice for a minute and can't skate anymore well so here's where i i disagree with that because when you look at the faceoffs, especially in Game Four, where the Oilers—they—they they just flat out sucked. But how many uh, faceoffs did they have with a, the power play that they lost control right off the hop, and they spent 20 seconds going down to their own end to pick up the puck? 
You know, it's funny you say that because I remember watching a power play in game four where I think they lost the faceoff and then they didn't have another chance to get into the zone because they lost the faceoff. They skated it down and then they like LA fucked around with the puck, pass it back to their defenseman. And it was like 40 seconds yes. before they even got possession so they could try to make a zone entry. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's just why it's on my mind right now. Just knowing how, uh, how bad it was in game four and how trying to find correlations between what was really working in the, in the middle games. And then, um, kind of, uh, just seeing if there's anything that was missing. So, We've kind of danced around it for a little bit now. We might as well talk about Game 4. It's the most recent in our mind. Well, there's not much else to say about Game 2 and 3. They played extremely well. They just need to replicate that. But I think talking about Game 4 is where what we need to do here. Try to take away what we can to figure out what they need to not do. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, take a seat on the therapist couch and, and get this done because... Ugh. Talk me through this, Greg. Oh my god, man. It was just a flat-out dud. This sounds bad, but you ever watch a game and you can see in the first 10 minutes that they're just, they don't have it. I, well, you could say that even about game three, mind you, because they got outshot. Um, how, what did they get outshot by in the first period? 19 to seven by LA in the first period of game three. Yeah. But Smith absolutely bailed them out. And even they got outshot, not as badly in terms of ratio, but they were still a shot two to one by LA in the first period. Well, the only reason why it wasn't five, nothing or something was because Mike Smith was standing on his head. Exactly. Well, to your point about shots, uh, I was paying attention last night. When we got to the second intermission, the Kings were basically like they're they're averaging almost a shot per minute, and the Oilers weren't even half that. Like, it's uh... yeah, I don't understand. Like, LA had thirty four shots after the second, and Edmonton only had eighteen. Yeah, exactly. Especially after that first period. Like, I can excuse it in the first period. You come out flat, whatever. But I won't excuse it two periods in a row after you get blown out in the first period. Coming out and getting out shot again, almost 2-1 to one as well. Yeah, well, and another big piece that uh, I, I'm starting to think is going to play a bigger role than we actually think is Derek Ryan under the lineup in Game 4. And you know, I've, I've heard people talking about it. Maybe that plays into that uh, face-off percentage you're talking about, having him being able to take Nuja's weak side face-offs. But like, leading into this game, maybe I just was underappreciating him, but I hadn't, haven't really noticed him all series. I, I think he's one of those uh, those those compliment players. Like, Puliyarvi, I think, is proving to be more valuable on that top line than we actually realize. Um, I, I know it might be debated, but I think... I think it provides bigger, like if Pugliarvi can get going on that top line, I provide, or I think that the Oilers have a uh, a deeper lineup, uh, especially when you can you can stretch the Yamamoto down to second line. You can uh, keep Derek Ryan down there. It's just when you look at Ryan Nugent Hopkins and you pair him with Derek Brassard and uh, who the hell was playing Josh Archibald. There, there's just. There's no opportunity for Nuge to shine the way Nuge can shine. And I think Woodcroft kind of saw that. If you look at the first two periods, it seemed like the last two shifts of every period, Nuge was up on that second line. It looked like Pugliari was actually sitting, allowing you know Yamamoto to jump up on the top. But Yeah, that, that was something that happened like midway through the second, I think, where they just started putting the lines in a blender. and But then I think at the start of the third, they were right back to normal, so I'm thinking maybe that might have just been thrown off by a penalty kill or something. So then the lines were just all messed up. 
But well, the thing with Puliarvi, like I know everybody's gonna sit here and say, like, look at his advanced stats, look how he's doing, and like I can't really argue with that. But at the same time, I think he would be better off in a less pressure situation. But at the on the same note, I don't know who to put there because nobody else has really done anything to give them the case to be there. Like Yamamoto's fine on Drysaddle's line. He feels like he's playing well. His stats don't really show it besides a goal and an assist. Um, but like you don't really want to put Cassie in there because it'll probably just be more of the same, especially when he did not bring it in Game 4 whatsoever. I was <laughs> like talking how he was a wrecking ball in Game 2. Yeah. But he, I don't even remember him throwing a hit in Game 4. I can't even picture him. Like he probably has a hit. But listed with the, three, but still, it's hard to believe. Well, like I think the difference is the quality of those hits because I think the hits just weren't there at all. Like looking at those stats actually from Game Four, like the hits I really don't agree with. You gotta wonder how much that's uh, inflated, maybe a little bit. It seemed like every whistle there was a scrum afterward, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm with you. It kind of felt like a couple players just slept through the game. Um, it was a couple players. I think <laughs> yeah. the whole team slept through that. Yeah, it's game. probably easier to list the guys that showed up, but the, I, only, the only person who felt like I noticed him that game was Kane. It, but that's been the story of the whole series, right? It's true. Like he seems to be the only guy who, well, he thrives in the playoffs. I think with his size and his scoring ability, you can kind of score from anywhere, throw the body, like defend the puck. You, it's it's hard to beat him, but. I don't know. He needs to find a way to show Pugliarvi how to play too. Cause I'm so tired of watching him not throw his body around when he's a behemoth out there and he just doesn't realize it. Yeah. Still thinks he's a Bambi out there. <laughs> I think he's still figuring it out. You got to wonder too. If, well, I, I don't know if he's still sick or what, but you think he's uh, probably still getting, getting his, uh, his legs, so to speak. Um, well, like how long are we going to sit here and wait for him to get his legs? Like get your legs in the bottom six, not playing shotgun with Connor McDavid. I'm uh, not saying he's dragging him down by any means, but he needs to also elevate the players with him. He I, needs to bring something that that line does not have. And he's not doing that. See, it's the intangibles for me though. I think, uh, I hate that word so much. Why? Because I, I just hate it. Everybody talks about like his like Pugliarvi's advanced stats, for example. But like, at the end of the day, you need to have points too. Like, I know your stats are good, but you need to be able to produce at the he same time. He scored in game two. Cool in a blowout game. He was, I think, the sixth or f- fifth or sixth goal in that game. So you said you need to put up points on top of being intangibles. Yeah, but it needs to be significant points. But with that being said, that <laughs> like I might contradict myself by saying like Kane was playing well and he had like three goals in the third period of an A2 game. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. He's just not bringing what that line needs. I'm not saying that he's not playing well or anything. Mm. He's just not what that line needs. I think he would be better suited playing with Nuge, and then we can give Nuge better players to play with because he's having the the dry side effect that he had for a couple years, not playing with McDavid. He just got the shit line mates. He's playing with Toby Reader and whoever <laughs> the hell they name. threw on his right wing. Yeah. So, like, now Yamamoto's in the same boat playing with Broussard, who was a healthy scratch the game before, and Archibald, who's played 10 games all year. Yeah. Well, before I get to that next point, the uh, Pugliarvi thing, just to wrap it all up, I think the reason that I kind of like him in his spot right now, and 
I completely understand the argument. How long are you going to give him that opportunity? But I think he's he's still very young. He's still trying to get his footing. He's clearly in a bit of a slump right now. You got to find a way to build up that confidence because we've seen him like when Puliyari goes, like he's a he's a dominant player, but he's just he's not that big power forward wrecking ball that we kind of saw at the start of the season. Um, I'm fine with having this conversation in the regular season, but it's game five of the first round of the playoffs. That's fair. I can't sit here and be like, oh, go go have fun. Make sure you get confident. It's okay. You can you can do okay. But no, we need him to be great. This like he can't just ride the coattails of the, his line mates. That uh, I, I've got nothing <laughs> to add to that. So <laughs> enough ripping apart Puliyarvi yeah. and stuff, though. Like I love I love the guy as a player, but I just want to see more because I feel like I know that he can bring more. Okay, so I'll move on to my next topic, which I'm kind of wondering if it's playing an impact. I kind of like the insertion of Josh Archibald. I thought it was good in game two. Is the deviation from 11 and 7 kind of throwing this team a little bit off kilter? I'm going to say no. Only because I really like being able to roll four lines, especially in the playoffs, without having to overplay McDavid and Dreisaitl. I think it was really, really helpful in game two and three where they barely had to play because they had a full roster. But if it was 11, they probably would have each had to play an extra two, three minutes. And who knows, but... yeah. Uh, you look at the back end though there's <laughs> I, I was so ready to uh to say this and then obviously the unfortunate goal happened last night but i i truly think that duncan keith has been the best defenseman that the oilers have had this playoff i think when you say the unfortunate goal last night sorry which one do you just mean? the shot from the point that went off a stick and then i got oh i yeah. think it was they say it was tipped i didn't see this the tip no, he, after he, he tipped it in yeah he was the one who 100 percent tipped it in i thought yeah. you were talking about the first one because he's the one who cleared it up the boards yeah and it hit the ref so that's the reason why i didn't go out yeah. i would like to say that the puck was bouncing all over the fucking place i know it felt like a potato field last night well like he threw it up the boards there we're talking about that first goal hits the ref in the back that it's bouncing in the corner, dry sidles on the wall, like fighting for the puck. Um, and then all of a sudden it pops out, bounces perfectly over Bouchard's stick and just leaves, uh, I think it was Deneau wide open who just backdoor tap or passed it to Ayafalo for the tap in. Well, when we go back to the goal, I went back and I watched that replay uh, like two or three different times. And you see the puck jump over Bouchard's stick and he's kind of like, oh shit, like I got to get back. But when he goes back, and it was Deneau that made the pass, right? Yeah. When he comes back in, he he doesn't even bother to pick up that second man. Like, Well, I think they were in a full panic situation, mind you, but that, yeah. that's no excuse because they need to not panic. And Bouchard <laughs> should be the t- guy who doesn't panic. That's kind of his MO. Yeah. But uh, maybe he needed to panic a little bit. <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah. Well, but, he, he really lacks that in his game sometimes. But like, I will say I was... I was talking a lot of shit to him about lack of urgency in game one. Right to him. But then game two and three, he played extremely well. And that yes. leads into Keith playing extremely well as well. Sorry for interrupting you and going off on that side tangent. but No, it was a very valuable tangent. Um, no, I was just going to say, I think Keith is really showing um, the value of his contract right now. I'm not going to say that he's worth every single penny or whatever, but... Just the value. I find that he really controls the pace of the breakout. There's a lot of, especially you noticed in 
like the easiest time you could notice it was in game one where you saw like all these Oilers in the first 10 minutes just running around like it's their first time ever going to a birthday party and he's got the puck behind the net and he kind of slowly walks it out like he's been there before he's seen this he's done that like I I think it gives the Oilers a level head when they need one well he's also Um, brought out a really good part of Bouchard oh which I I think he's calmed his nerves a lot but yeah. I will say game four, I just saw that they were both minus three. So I don't know about that. Like, I guess one goal was an empty netter on that because I know Nurse was on the ice for the one, um, the third goal. I was going to say that's the most overrated stat in my mind, especially when you can get a minus for being on the on the ice for an empty net. Well, I mean, but it tells a story. At the end of the day, they were both struggling on both the first two goals, like they both kind of made a mistake. Like Keith on that first goal probably didn't need to clear up the boards. He didn't really have that much pressure on him. Um, and then he did hit the ref, mind you, and then it bounced over Bouchard's stick. And then they both lost coverage on Deneau and Iofalo. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that leads into the second goal with Stetcher's goal. Um, Keith was just kind of like standing there mm-hmm. and not tying up his man and just kind of let him get the shot away for free. Um, I don't know. And like, Cause that's the one he tipped in, right? Yeah. That, so that like, one, instead yeah. of trying to get the, he was like, that was a point shot, right? So he's at the blue line and he's probably like six to 10 feet in front of uh, Smith toward the, towards Stetcher who was taking the shot. So he's a good 20 feet between Stetcher and him. So rather than tie up the guy that's beside him, he decides to try and get a stick on the puck that's flying at him. Like, I don't really understand his thought process there. I think it'd be better to try and push that guy out, box him out, Give Smith the clear shot, like the clear look on the shot, and let him make the save. So who the fuck wins that argument when Mike Smith gets pissed off and he looks at Duncan Keith? You have Mike Smith, who's been doing this forever at 40 years old, and then you have Duncan Keith, who's won every award under the sun. Well, Duncan Keith just takes off his his glove and he's wearing his three Stanley Cup. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But also, I don't want to argue with Smith because his death glare would probably murder somebody. Oh, Just by looking at them. Yeah. Yes, very intimidating guy. Um, but as much as we want to say the Oilers sucked, I, I honestly think that the uh, the Kings played an airtight game. Uh, I, For my own personal opinion, I, I sometimes forget how tenured Todd McClellan is as a coach. Uh, I think that's one of the remarks that I took away after game one is realizing this guy's, this guy's seen it before. He's been around the block. Um, but... It uh, it kind of showed again that the Kings I mentioned last week like adapt that's the key for the Oilers to uh, um, be successful in this series but that's exactly what the Kings did if you look at the Oilers power play a much more aggressive Kings penalty kill and it didn't really allow the Oilers to uh, really set up yeah or... I noticed they were kind of playing that uh, that like swarm the puck carrier kind of yeah. strategy which I don't know like I don't know if it's effective. But watching it, it sure seems effective most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like Edmonton should, in theory, be one of those teams that can just outskate the guy chasing them and hopefully get open. But I don't know. It just wasn't working out for them, I guess. Yeah. it. Uh, I think the Kings played a really, really strong game. Jonathan Quick was... Uh, Jonathan Quick was godlike that game. Yeah. And, okay, I, I saw a bunch of shit on Twitter last night. Those people out there, whoever is out on Twitter thinking that we should, if we, uh, I saw a tweet that said, if we had uh, Jonathan Quick in net, this would have been a, 
uh, a series sweep already. That's completely untrue. Completely untrue. The guy who got pulled in game three and has in total or in those two games gave up 10 goals in two games. Like it, it's, he's an easy scapegoat because he, he had the, the fuck up in game one and sure he let in a fair bit of goals in game four, like, but he wasn't terrible. There's nothing like uh, blaming your goalie when you scored zero <laughs> goals and be like, wow, if we had a better goalie, we would have won. It's like you literally didn't score any goals. How are you supposed to win? Well, it also it also helps when uh, the other team can fucking Superman the puck into the back of the net. I mean, I will say that <laughs> I did not think that should have counted. They're like, oh, he cross-checked it into the net. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. Um, how about like the goaltender interference? Like we'll get into that later. Cause I want to talk about all that, but yeah, I, I won't go too much down that, but it's just something about the Oilers with a, a review challenge in, uh, in the playoffs in California that just doesn't seem to go well with them. One thing I thought was really funny about that yeah. is they reviewed the goal, right? Mm-hmm. And then after they called it a goal, they went and told Woodcroft. Right. And he was sitting there arguing with them. And I'm pretty sure, like, how it went is they were like, yeah, it wasn't a glove, like, a glove hand goal. Mm-hmm. And then he's sitting there like, but was it goaltender interference? And I feel like they were like, oh, we don't know. And then he's like, okay, well, I'm going to challenge that. And then it feels like five seconds later, they go, they talk on the mic for like five seconds, drop in. They're like, still a goal. I was like, you guys fucking knew that it wasn't goaltender interference of what you're already going to call before he challenged that. That's exactly what I thought too. When I went upstairs, it was almost if they're like, fuck this guy. Like, we're not reviewing this again. Like, I literally like looked away at my phone to like text my friends and be like, be like, I think this might've been goaltender interference. I look up and they already be like, no, it's not. Let's keep going. I'm just like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And then they get the empty net goal after that. And, uh, it, things started to get a little bit nasty. Uh, we saw the suspensions that you're not the suspensions, but the, the, uh, game misconducts that they're handing out left and right. One thing I wanted to kind of touch on is that little rat fuck Lemieux on that team. You know, he's speaking of Lemieux, I wonder if him and Barry are going to fight because he is in Barry's head. Like Barry loses his fucking mind when he's on the ice. It's hilarious. Well, and in the Mikey Anderson, Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid angle that we're seeing is, is kind of interesting too. How about CC like absolutely destroying that guy with like the flying, like takedown. He comes flying out of, he just grabs him out of the air and throws him to the ground. The amount of, uh. Um, joy that I'm getting from using wrestling memes on our Twitter account just to compare what's going on from Evander Kane's goals to Cody Cece's body slams is just making my my uh, heart happy. Well, it's so weird. Like this seems like it's kind of ironic that uh, Chuck Liddell was in the crowd. Louis oh, wouldn't stop. Oh fucking my god, talking was he it. in the crowd? Yeah, Louis would not shut Good up about Lord. that. That was driving me nuts. Freaking hard on for the guy. There was so like every scrum, like there was that. Uh, I think it was Nugent Anderson were like having that scrap behind the net, just rolling around yeah. in the second period, and I was like, what is happening in this game? Like, I don't think either team knows how to have a proper hockey scrum. They just yeah. all take each other down. Well. And to back to the point that I was getting to, it seemed like Cassian was challenging Lemieux, and I feel like he's just one of those players that'll pick and pick and pick. And one of these times, I mean, hate to say it, but look what happened to his dad back in '96. Lays a dirty ass hit and causes probably the biggest line brawl I've ever seen in my life. But 
Well, I think it's inevitable it's, that he's going to have to fight somebody. He's yeah. It's kind of funny you bring up like the ratness though, because I was oh. just reading comments about uh, Jamie Ben was talking about Matthew Kachuk. Yes, where Ben was mic'd up all last game, and he challenged Kachuk to a fight like four times, and every time Kachuk was like, "No, no, we're not fighting." And then he was like, why do you think he didn't want to fight you? And Jamie Ben's like, because he's smart. He's <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to fight me neither. Yeah, it, well, I know it was a kind of a, a way for him to take the the higher road and look like the strong guy, but I, there's something to that that angle. I think it's just to piss off players, but I, I just think there's going to come a point in this series where Lemieux's going to continue to do something stupid and he's going to have to pay the piper. I just... Well, it's inevitable. You can't go through a whole series playing like that without having to do something. Yeah. It's like... The, but only, if, the thing is, if he was a good player, like if he was a Matthew Kachuk, a Brad Marchand, if he was also a skilled player, then I would say like he probably wouldn't have to because somebody might try to fight for him. But like that's kind of what his job is. He should also be a fighter because he's like, a, what, a third, fourth liner? Yeah. I don't know. Well, we've taken a good bite, pun intended, out of game four. Um, let's take a look at these next couple games. I, what do you change going into game five? What do you change? Well, I think there just needs to be, uh, a higher, uh, battle level with this team. They're losing far too many puck battles in game four. I think the change of scenery will be good back in Edmonton. You're like, you know, the crowd's going to show up. Uh, I think the first 10 minutes, um, the Kings will tell you is the most important part of the game, but I'm sure the Oilers know it is for them too. Uh, I, in my opinion, that's the number one thing they need to do yeah. is have a good first period. Mm. Like you don't even have to score. Just make sure LA doesn't score. You're at least even because they, they've been blown out in the first period, two games in a row, come out flat footed. And this team struggles. It seems to come back once they're down, like they might be able to tie it, but then they let off the gas again. So they need to get ahead, and for some reason, once they get ahead, they seem to just really like put their foot down on the throat of whoever they're playing. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, kind of side note: Do we know if Derek Ryan is uh, is out? Is he available for tomorrow night's game? Um, I believe he was just having a maintenance day, from what I was reading. So I. Yeah, well, that was he had a maintenance day the day after because the reason he's out is that Anthony CU Ryan collision. After oh, see, that yeah, one that's goal. what I thought it was. Yeah. So I believe he took a maintenance day and then he took the game off and then he's probably resting again today. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's back in. But there was never an official announcement of what happened. But that's also how the playoffs work. They never release injuries because they're too <laughs> afraid. Yeah, he's got a finger injury and it's a yeah. upper body injury. No, the the reason that I asked that is, I think. You have to get Nuge activated somehow, or you gotta flip up the the bottom six. Some I just I don't like that pairing of uh, always always bump up Ryan McLeod. Well, that's a great point. But then Devin Shore would probably have to come in, assuming Ryan's <laughs> injured, because they need a center for the the shootout specialist. I'm okay with that. I want to like I want to see what he brings. He's a hard worker. If he throws a hit, then he's already doing better than most of the the team from the last game so but to your end why don't we just switch back to 11 and 7 well that's just the argument for 11 and 7 and i don't know if i want 11 and 7 because they did that in game one and then they went away from in two and three so like you could argue that it wasn't necessarily a positive impact on the team because i think it makes the bottom line struggle to get into the game 
It does. I do find um, it gives a little bit more security on the back end. Like, look at CC last night, even in that egg of a game that they uh, laid. He had 23 minutes. Like, uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. It's not like they've played a long overtime game and these guys should be tired or any reason, but it, it just seems like we have too many kind of floaters on the top 12 that it's like maybe maybe you've you know flipped the script and put shore in pull someone out pull brassard out yeah like he threw some hits in that game but otherwise he didn't really do anything yeah that's one thing is he was the only person i was noticing throwing hits it's like watching uh tyler benson in the regular season fighting for his career (laughs) Uh, so essentially your your main key to the game will be for game five. Oh, is a question. No, <laughs> I'll Sorry, I, should, I probably should have worded no, that as no, a question instead of blah 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 blank. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they uh, they need to have a higher battle level. Like the compete needs to be much much higher. Um, this is gonna kind of <laughs> it's it's gonna be counterintuitive to what I, I said last week about why Woodcroft's a good coach and why the message of uh, Woodcroft is different from from Tippett, but uh, I... Uh, Just got to work harder. Well, <laughs> exactly. I saw John Cooper's comments this uh, this week when everyone was saying how the, the Tampa Bay like Lightning look burnt out. They look tired. And he said, if you're tired, you don't want to win. And so that's kind of the, the look that the Oilers gave last night. So... Uh, that's just, it's compete, man. It's compete for me. I really wish we could have the lackadaisical attitude that John Cooper has in those interviews. <laughs> just going to watch a movie every game day. Yeah. Well, it's just like after game one, he's like, oh yeah, like, eh, it's just game one. Like, who gives a shit? Meanwhile, Edmonton, we lost game one and we we're ready to burn the city down. <laughs> I guess that's what uh, what winning two Stanley Cups in a row will do for you. Yeah, it calms the heart rate down a little bit, hey? A little bit. They've all They've all been there by now. We are all panicking still. So to your point, um, what what is your uh, your key? Is it the first ten minutes? Is it something else? Well, I, like I think the first ten minutes are important, but if I'm talking on a like a full game level, they need to play physical and they need to hit those young defensemen and get them panicking again, like they did in two and game two and three, because they I believe. I think it was in game two. Sean Dursey took seven hits or something like that, mm-hmm. and in game four he only took two or three. Which, like, as they're essentially their number one defenseman, they need to really lay it on him. So, like, yeah, they need to bring it physically. And I don't know what's going to change to get them to do that. I don't know if they just, like, have one screen of game two gameplay and one screen of game three gameplay, and they're like, watch this, do this again. <laughs> Let's get physical. I, th- <laughs> I think the best thing to do is just throw away that game tape Yeah. and just essentially say, don't do what you just did. Like, hey, who knows? Maybe they were just partying in L.A., riding the high of their, like, win, and partied on Friday night, partied on Saturday night. Like, I don't know, Drysaddle looked like he was ready to throw up all game. He was barely moving. <laughs> oh, I don't want to rag on him too much, but I think he played horrible. He might still be injured, like, yeah. from when he was nursing something in, at the end of the season there. Well, it, to me, uh, maybe horrible is a strong word, but I did feel like the decisions he was making were kind of, like, dopey headed like the amount of just passes he would make on the power play just flipping to where some guy should be 
uh, without looking. I know that's kind of the MO of the Oilers power plays. They, they've got this kind of intuition of where people will be, but uh, it just some, some, you know, just brain farts in, in terms of passing and making plays. And, but uh, I don't know. I, I can't single him out because the whole team played like shit. That's fair. So, um, out of the next three games, two of them are at home. That's that's got to be a positive, hey? Well, it's like we said at the beginning of the show. That's like what Sheldon Keefe was saying about the Leafs, and I think that applies to us too. It's like we we came, we came, went in there, them having three games at home, us having two, and now we have two games at home, they have one. So statistically speaking, we have the advantage. We're back to having home ice advantage again because we lost it after giving one away at home. And now we have it back again. So we just need, now that we're hopefully not jittery when we go home, we hopefully can use that energy, come out strong in the first period, and hopefully ride that high for the rest of the game. Agreed there. Agreed there. Well, that'll kind of do it here for our game five through seven preview. The rest will just be crossing our fingers and toes and just keeping our eyes closed until we can, I don't know, make it through the next 24 hours. I don't know. It's been such a, an emotional roller coaster. These late games aren't really helping me. Uh, <laughs> I know these 8 p.m. starts aren't, aren't the funnest, especially on a on a Sunday night. And then I'm so happy there hasn't been overtime yet. Oh, my God. No I'm, kidding. I'm exhausted and like I shouldn't be this exhausted, but like it keeps fucking with my sleep schedule. And I'm sure everybody in Edmonton feels the same way. Besides those Nighthawks out there or the people who work in the late morning or in the afternoon. But it's worth every single, like, ounce of tiredness I mean, you get. If, if assuming they win, I will be very disappointed if I stay up late and they lose, like last night. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, why am I, like, I, if you're going to play like this, I'm just going to go to bed. Sean's riding in the streets because he's lost sleep over the past week and a half. Well, like, fuck. <laughs> they're playing on the ice like they're sleeping. Why can't I sleep too? Okay, that's a fair... That's a fair point. It's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, well, let's let's uh, wrap up this uh, this podcast with our, our first segment of our show, actually. Sean, you excited? Yes, I love segments. Segments are fun. <laughs> segments are fun. So we're introducing the plus minus of the week. This week's plus minus segment is brought to you by the Wayne Gretzky statue on 104th Avenue. Hey, L.A., how come your Gretzky statue doesn't have a cup? The Wayne Gretzky statue on 104th Ave. Sean, who is your minus of the week? My minus of the week? You know, I was going to talk about goaltender interference, but I've actually changed my mind because I was looking at my notes from the game, and I remembered that I sat there, and I wrote like five sentences about something that was kept pissing me off, and it's all the stupid sports betting ads that will not stop playing between breaks. It's like, I am losing my fucking mind. It is bad. It's like, jackpot city, city, bet 99, sports 365, whatever the hell Dan O'Toole is trying to sell me. Like, like, I don't don't know, man. It's making me lose my mind. Like, why is this legal to advertise gambling this much? It's it's like it now that it's it's super, you know, elite, not illegal, super, super legal. Jesus. Uh to to do it's like they're shoving it down your throat like do it or else but oh it's it's just it's way too much and like the worst part is they all have these former nhl players selling them like i think gretzky's in one he doesn't actually say anything he just kind of stands <laughs> there 
But the one that I, oh, I hate the most is Matthew Barnaby trying to sell me something. I don't know why, but the last thing I want to do is buy something that Matthew Barnaby wants me to buy. That makes sense. He He's also got that line in the commercial that says, my playing career might be over. Isn't that the same guy who, like, decided to to go to a training camp in the ECHL when he heard Sean Avery, his arch enemy, was firing back up? Like, I, th- I think so. The only thing I remember of him is uh, he made the angry BX of face the one time and Vigneault couldn't stop laughing. I thought that was... I thought that was... Uh, I thought it was Barnaby who did that. Not Philpula. Philpula? Son of a bitch. I can see his, I can see his face. It, there's a V in his name. People listening to the show are going to lose their minds because they're like, yeah, you idiots, it's this person. Well, now I'm going to um, Google it. Do you want to talk about your minus while I Google that? Yeah, I sure. can talk about my minus. I'm actually going gonna, gonna to put a player into this category this week. It's... Uh, uh, I hate it when my minus is actually a player when the whole team sucked. But Tyson, Barry, just give away central, no-brain hockey plays. Just, uh It's funny, when you look back, I was one of the defenders of Tyson Barry when he got signed because I was like, you know what? Um, he has the potential to put up, like, a, a shit ton of points. We saw it last year, but right now the guy couldn't score if he walked into a 10-cent brothel with a pocket of dimes. Like, he's just... There's just nothing there. Well, it's like I mentioned before. I think Lemieux's in his head, too. Yeah. He's not playing the way that he should be, and I think that kind of plays into it. Ugh. Do you figure but, out who the player was? Yes, it's Vern Fiddler. I knew it was a V. You know, that just goes to show how forgettable Matthew Barnaby is. Because <laughs> of that, I just attribute him to other people. There you go. All right, Sean, your plus for the week. My plus is absolutely 100% Mike Smith. I don't think anybody can argue that. Like, he had that shaky first game, but what were his save percentage? 100, a 960-something. He had a 933 the other night. You can't really ask for much more from him. And at 40 years old, that's disgusting. Like, it actually hurts my brain. Yeah, it's, Um, it's inhumane. Like, anybody who is trashing him... They need to like look in the mirror and look at this team in other areas and stop blaming him. Like I would blame the defense on 90% of the goals that occur before I blame him. And I say 90% because that one was 100% Mike Smith's fault. But yeah, there's, I don't know, there's not much more I can say. Yeah, And I don't want to hear a single person badmouth him again. <laughs> it's just like, it's just a joke at this point. Old man power, hey? Well, exactly. Maybe this team needs a little bit more old manpower. I don't know what Bouchard's doing. He's supposed to be like 35 or something. That's what I was reading. My plus of the week is going to be kind of a niche one, but uh, uh, just from experience being on benches, being uh, both a player and a and a coach, uh, in Game 3, Leon Dreisaitl broke his stick, and within five seconds of breaking his stick, he hit over to the half wall, got a check, and the trainer or the equipment guy on the bench had his stick ready to grab right off the hop, and the puck stayed in the own end. Like, that was incredible. So my plus goes to whoever the hell it was that acted so quickly to uh, keep the Oilers special teams rocking and rolling the way they have been lately. I wonder if they have a guy who's just specifically there to grab sticks. Oh, I And wonder- he's like a F1 pit stop guy where he's just like sitting there waiting. As soon as a stick breaks, he just flies as fast as he can. It's the same dude that sits and like does the dance with the gloves as they come in after the Exactly. The <laughs> exactly. That, that's a good gig. So, Oilers, if you're hiring. Um, <laughs> I think that'll about do it for episode two of the Crude Oil podcast, Sean. 
You ready for these uh, next few days of craziness? Um, I think so. I think I'm going to try and catch up on sleep tonight so I can stop complaining about it. You heard it there. Edmonton, get your rest. Game five's tomorrow night. Spoilers. <laughs>